Our passage this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. And I'm going to go ahead and read that. And this morning, what we're going to do is I'm going to read it from the ESV, and then I'm going to preach it from the CSB. Now, before you think that I'm being exceptionally creative with this and that I've planned this all out, uh, the truth is I forgot to send Amber the passage this morning, and she only had time to get it up in ESV. So just don't tell anybody, okay? But uh, the, actually, the passages are quite close. So beginning in chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to bless the reading of your word, this special text. It's a different text that is, than is typically preached for a Christmas sermon, but it is appropriate for us to preach it, for us to read it, to meditate on it, and to apply it. Father, I am thankful for all that you have given us through Christ Jesus. And I'm thankful for this uh, testimony of your sovereignty and the power of your providence in our lives. Lord, be with us during this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning's message is entitled, The Sovereignty of God and the Birth of Jesus. <clears throat> Oftentimes, as we are uh, walking through the Christmas story, we get caught up in the uh, in all the details, the shepherds and the, the wise men, we get caught up in the angels singing and the hallelujahs and, uh, and all, of, all of that and the glory in the highest and uh, that sort of thing. And uh, oftentimes, I think lost in the details, at least I know with me, I, I, one of the aspects that gets lost for me is, is this idea of God's sovereignty through every single aspect of it. Uh, the fact that God is orchestrating every bit of this, that this is not accidental, and in fact, that this should not even be a surprise, uh, that God is working in the way that He is working. And as I read this text, uh, and pr in preparing for this message, and, and trying to figure out, I, I've never preached this passage before. Uh, and so I was excited about preaching it, uh, but I was 
I was trying to figure out, okay, how, how does this really apply to us, right? This is just really, I mean, it's the, the foretelling of Christ uh, to uh, the birth of Christ to Mary, uh, but how does it fit with us and, and our uh, daily lives? And as I was reading it, the thing that just kept kind of coming back to me was this idea that God is sovereign through absolutely every uh, step of this process. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning. So uh, I've got 10 points written down, but they're not really 10 points. What it really is, is it's about nine different evidences of God being sovereign uh, or providential through the birth of Christ, and not just the birth of Christ, but preparing people for the birth of Christ, for the coming of the Messiah, and then one final point on how we respond to that. Because there's always a response that is necessitated uh, when, uh, when, when God speaks. There's always a response. And so I want us to walk through this. And so if you would open your text, if you have it there, uh, we're just going to start. And what I've done is I've highlighted some phrases, some occurrences, some statements that Gabriel makes. And just remember that when an angel speaks... That angel is speaking on behalf of God. An angel is, is a messenger. That's what they are. They're messengers. They are bringing the message of God to the people. And that's what's happening here. Now, we've before this passage, we've already seen Gabriel announcing, announcing to Elizabeth that she is going to give birth. Now, why is this miraculous? Well, Elizabeth, like so many characters in Scripture... Uh, cannot have children. She's barren. She's getting up there in age. Her husband is getting up there in age, and they, they can't have children. And here you have this messenger coming to Elizabeth and saying, listen, you will have a child. You are going to have a child. His name is going to be John. And we've already seen, we, we know what ends up happening there, that John becomes the herald, if you will, to this Christ, to the Lamb of God coming into the world, right? And so that's this John, the cousin of Jesus, and, um, and that's what's being announced. One of the things that we need to make sure of, to note about this, is that John while that is a miracle that, jo that, that God opened Elizabeth's womb to enable her to have John, John was conceived naturally, if you will, okay? John was conceived naturally. Mary's a different story. Mary's a unique story. And so I want us to walk through this, and I want us to pick apart and look at these different aspects that details the sovereignty of God in the birth of Jesus Christ. And so starting in verse 26, the author writes, in the sixth month. Now that sixth month is referring not to the month of the year, but into the month in which Elizabeth was uh, gestating, if you will. She was six months pregnant. We find that out a little bit later, uh, but just so you, that we'll all be on the same page. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. And so right off the bat, we see that even the foretelling of Christ is, is under the sovereignty or under the control of God. This is no normal announcement, okay? This is not a normal announcement that God has sent his angel to come tell Mary, this virgin, that she is going to give birth. What a shock this must, must have been to Mary, 
And so it says, in the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Now we could talk about Galilee. We could talk about Nazareth. We could walk into Bethlehem and talk about how all of that was a part of God's plan, but we don't have time for that. It would take months for us to uncover all the ways in which God's hand was on this birth and on the life of Christ. But we're going to stick to the text this morning. And so it says, to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, first of all, one of the things that's popular in our time, in our culture, is to say that Mary was not really a virgin, that Mary was not really a virgin, that Jesus was also born naturally, that honestly, that, that, that they got it wrong, that Mary was actually just a young maiden, all right? Um, and that uh, this is just sort of a, a way of, of, of changing the story, story to make it a supernatural uh, means by which Christ comes into the world, and that there's less, there's less scandal in this way. But that's not what we see at all. We see that Mary was absolutely a virgin. She had never been with a man, that this has been prophesied by Isaiah, we see that as well. We can actually turn to Matthew and see how that comes about, right? And so Mary is a virgin. Now, there are some in liberal theology that will say that it's not necessary for Mary to be a virgin. It's not necessary for that to have occurred for you to still have faith. And I would say I disagree with that 100%. Why is it so important that Mary be a virgin? Why is that crucial to this story? And I'm going to name two reasons why that's crucial. Number one, we see from this text and from Matthew that Mary being a virgin is an answer to prophecy. It's a typological answer to the prophecy that Isaiah made. That's the first reason. But the second reason, and maybe even more important, is that Mary being a virgin demonstrates that God was intimately, and I use that word very specifically, intimately involved in the conception of Christ. He was intimately, this does not happen in any other way except God's hand being involved with Christ being conceived. And it shows the sovereignty of God being over this whole situation, that God is in control from the very beginning, that God was in control when he prophesied that Christ would come. Let's face it, God has been in control since the foundations of the universe. There's never been a moment when he hasn't been in control. And we see Christ even being prophesied from chapter 3 on throughout the text. But we see the birth of Christ and the coming of the Messiah being told throughout the Old Testament. And then here we land in the Gospels, and we see that not only is Christ an answer to the prophecy, but that God's hand is intimately involved in the coming of that, pro or the, the inauguration of that answered prophecy, in the fact that Jesus is being born of a virgin. It's absolutely crucial. This is an aspect of the text where we can see that God is directly involved in the birth of Christ. This is not some this is not an ordinary child. This is a very special unique child. So that's the first aspect of that. So to a virgin engaged 
to a man named Joseph. Second point here that I have underlined here is that he is of the house of David. And so that we know that this is not just some some ordinary family, that Joseph is coming from the house of David, from the line of David. And so that already throws into, uh, and throws into the, uh, the pot this idea that this child is going to be in the line of the Messiah. And so that brings excitement. So she's engaged to Joseph, and he is of the house of David, and the virgin's name is Mary. In verse 28, it says, And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now we read past that and we don't think much of that line. We look at it as a greeting and that greeting shocked Mary at that time, right? And we say often, we say, well, look, Mary was favored. And the question is this, why was Mary favored? That, I mean, that's often what we ask ourselves, right? You, you go back through the text, where else is Mary? What has Mary done to make her favored. Why is Mary so special that she's favored? We can go back through the text and look and say, you know, what did, did she like cure a disease? Did she invent the chair? You know, did she do something special to make her favored? And the answer is this, she did nothing. Mary is not favored because of anything she did. She is favored because God simply chose her out of his own good purposes, out of his own goodwill. Much like how God pulled Abraham, much like how God chose David, much like how God has chosen others and just pulled them out of the wreckage of life to make them favored, if you will, all right, to carry the name of the Lord or carry the nation of Israel forward, Mary is pulled out and favored by God, meaning that she is chosen. She didn't do anything to earn this. And that's where often we, we make a mistake and we, we misunderstand what this means. We often think, well, Mary must have done something to make her the highly favored. Well, no. What made her highly favored is that simply that God chose her. And we see God's sovereignty even in that, is that if, if it was that Mary had done something special, to make her the correct applicant for the job as Jesus, uh, Jesus's mother, then we might say that, well, hum humanity had a role to play in the coming of the Savior, and there was something good in humanity that brought this about. That's not this story. The story is this, is that God uniquely chose Mary out of his pure, out of pure providence. He simply chose her. And so contrary to popular belief, now I'm not, now don't get me wrong here, I'm not saying that, that, that Mary was a runt, I'm not say, saying that Mary was a scoundrel or something like that, I'm sure that Mary was a fine individual. But oftentimes we put Mary up to some sort of level that she really hasn't earned on her own. How does she reach that level? God chose her for that. She didn't do anything to earn it. And so this doesn't mean that she was righteous and more holy than other women, it simply implies that God chose her to bear the Son of God, which makes her favored. And so he says, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. And in verse 29, it says, But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. See, even Mary doesn't get it. Mary's like, 
Why am I the favorite? What have I done to warrant an angel coming to me and greeting me with the idea that I'm favored? What did I do, right? She doesn't even get it. If Mary doesn't get it, we ought not give her praise for something she did not earn. We praise the Lord for what he has accomplished, right? And so she's greatly distressed, wondering what kind of greeting this would be. And in verse 30, it says that the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, that's a, that's a curious statement. Again, we'll skip over that sometimes. But, it, but he says, the angel says to reassure Mary, he says, Mary, don't be afraid. You have been favored by God. Could we say it this way? You have been chosen by God. Now, here's something that I like to think about, is that if God is sovereign, then why is there any need to fear anything that man has for us? The only fear that we might have is of God himself, this reverential fear that we have. When God is sovereign, fear is not necessary. God is in control. And that's what the angel is saying here. You are a favored, you've been chosen by God. Do not fear. It's all going to be okay. God is sovereign over your current situation. Verse 31. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. So now the angel is predicting this idea that Mary, an unwed virgin, is getting ready to conceive the Son of God, and the angel's already picked out his name, right? Now, personally, I would say, thanks for choosing the name. That means I don't have to wrestle with it, because we know that parents go around and around and around what they're going to name their kids, right? All right. Our, Lucas was going to be named Theodore, but Crystal didn't have anything to do with that. Anyway, I'm joking, Lucas. It was not going to be Theodore. All right. So here's the deal. So it says, now you listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus, the name that was chosen. So God is even in control in the name that Jesus has given. We see his sovereignty in that. Verse 32, he will be, now listen to what, what the angel says here. He's just kind of listing out how God has orchestrated this whole thing. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. It's not that he might will he might be great. It's not that he will be special, that he's going to be a unique, unique kid. He's going to be popular among his peers. That Jesus is going to make waves in the community. No, he will be great. Lay it out there right now. He will be great. Why will he be great? He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him what? The throne of his father David. What do, what do those three things have in common? Every one of those are pointing to the fact that this child that is going to be conceived by way of the Holy Spirit is the Messiah, the chosen one, the Christos, the anointed one. This is the Messiah. If we walk back through all the texts of the Old Testament, and, and there are some who have done this, and pulled apart, pulled apart all the different prophecies that have been made about who that Messiah was going to be, Christ answers every single one of them. 
Christ is the answer to every one of them. And we see that here. We see that he is the son of God. He is the son of the most high. He's going to be great. He is seated on David's throne. And then further on, it says that he is going to reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will know no end will know no end this is not just a typical child this is not just a messiah he's also a king he's going to have a kingdom and this is a kingdom that's not going to conclude there's no conclusion to to the rule of Christ I mean, what's interesting is that you have King David and you have King Solomon, and then you have the split of the kingdoms, and you have these all these minor kings that are out there, and then, then Israel gets cast into oblivion, into exile with Babylon, and when they return from exile, they do not have a king. Now, King Herod would like to have said that he was the king of the Jews, right? But they did not have a king. They were waiting on a king to come. They did not have a king until Christ is born. Because here is the king that will sit on David's throne, that will reign over the family, the nation of Jacob, and that will rule forever. Has there been a king of the people of God since? No. Why? Because the king is Christ. He's still king. There's not been any new inauguration of a king because Jesus is still on that throne. He still reigns. There will be no more inauguration. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And here's Mary. Mary asks the angel, How can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? She knows how biology works. She knows how biology works. She says, how can this happen? And the angel talks, says to her, the angel replies to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be God will be called the Son, or I'm sorry, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God of God. Now we've talked about before in here from in sermons as well as Bible studies of the importance of the fact that Jesus was not just man but that he was also God. We've talked about that. We're not going to rehash that. But what I do want to point out in lieu of this message is the fact that every step of the way we see again and again, concluding here with the Holy Spirit's involvement in the conception of Christ, that God is sovereign over every single detail. There can be no misunderstanding, no mistaking the fact that God is in control of this entire situation even the birth of Christ. Why is it important that God is sovereign not only not only over all the earth but also over the birth of Christ? And it's because of this. God is sovereign even over our salvation. And it begins with Christ. He's sovereign even over our salvation. He is complete, he is in complete control. Just like he favored or chose Mary, He chooses us before the foundations of the earth. 
You might even say that God chose, you can even say that God chose Mary before the foundations of the earth to be the bearer of Christ. So the angel replies, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born with, be born will be called the Son of God. So why is the Holy Spirit involved? So that Christ will be called the Son of God. And then Mary, just in case Mary is having a little, might be a little skeptical of the whole situation, what does he do? He reminds her of Elizabeth. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. Saying, Mary, if you're having any doubts, I want you to look at Elizabeth. You know how barren she was? She was barren as Sarah was, right? But here she is, and she is six months pregnant with a child, even in her own age. And so do not doubt the power of what God has. God can do anything. God can do the impossible. In fact, he says, for nothing will be impossible with God. God enabled Elizabeth to have a child even though she's barren. God will make it possible for you to have a child even though you have not been with a man because God is going to make the way. Christmas really is a time for miracles, but it's not because of the way the culture says it, right? That's kind of fluffy miracles, all right? The greatest miracle that ever occurred that we can see is this, all right? It's this. It's the fact that God sends His Son, His unique Son, out of love for us as a child born to a virgin, that He would live the perfect life, and then He would die vicariously on our behalf and be raised from the dead. By the way, I count that as one massive miracle. The entire life of Christ is one massive miracle for us. And so all of this has accomplished. Mary was a virgin. Neither her nor Joseph played a role other than just being, just being the, the human incubator, if you will, for Christ. Jesus is a work of God, and nothing is impossible for God. But then how do we respond to this text then, right? So God is sovereign. God is sovereign over the birth of Christ. How then do we respond with this? And it's quite simple. We use the words of what Mary says here. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. When the Lord calls us and reveals to us His will as He has in His Word, the proper response for the believer is to go. It's to do. It's to serve however the Lord calls. We do not bargain with the Lord. Mary did not tell the angel, I get what you're doing here, but just so you know, this is going to be a scandal. This is going to call, this is going to ruffle some feathers. Mom and dad aren't going to be super happy about this. Joseph might be a little concerned about this whole thing. Can, can I bargain with you for a minute? 
Can we wait just a little bit? Can we push up the date of the wedding just so that there's not as big... So it's just easier on me. There is no bargaining with God. When He calls us, we go. We answer the call. We serve and we let Him work out the details. Countless times out in Scripture, we see God calling people out from where they are, sending people to accomplish what he has told them to accomplish, and he does not leave them hanging out there to dry. He meets them where they are. And he does the same for Mary. So what does Mary do? He says, may it happen to me. I am I'm yours. I am your servant. My prayer is, is that we will increasingly throughout our lives, and especially through this time of Christmas and then moving into Easter, that we will acknowledge the fact that God is supremely in control of everything. That there is not one thing that God is not in control of. And that when God calls us out to do His bidding, to do His will, that we will not bargain with Him, that we will not question Him, that we will not find an end around or a way through or some sort of loophole, that we will just say, may it be as you've said. May it be as you have said. And that we just go and that we serve and we do His bidding. And that we would have no fear.